This interview was recorded in May 2021, where Jay Pathak was the guest at our Multiply Vineyard event, Leading, Planting and Pioneering. The following audio is taken from this event. Okay, welcome back to this uh, next session. We are really excited to be diving back in with Jay to ask him some more questions, to dig a bit deeper and to mine some more nuggets of gold um, from him while we've got him. So um, hopefully that's okay. Um, so Jay, back in October, when we gathered together in this Zoom room, we were looking at discernment and the call of God on our lives. Can you just unpack a little bit for us about how kind of formation, the stuff we were talking about earlier on this morning and discernment, how they link and some examples in your life or things that you've seen? Is that OK? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, well, we could do a little Bible for a second. Go for um, it. We'd love that. So. I think that your formation and the way you discern are more connected than we often realize. And even within our stream, I would even say that we interpret even the prophetic through our formation and our values. So let me be really clear, because what we often want is we want God to speak to us. And if God spoke to us, well, then it's settled, right? Like we don't have anything else to do. Well, I don't even know that that's true. So let me let me tell you what I mean. Um, in the scriptures, this there's this weird little story, which you may or may not remember. You can look at it another time where Paul is sitting with a bunch of people and a prophetic guy, a prophet comes up and says, in the same way that, you know, my hands are bound by this belt, the owner of this belt will be bound and taken to Jerusalem. And you know, remember that? little text. It's Agabus is this prophet. It's this really strange story. And I just want you to imagine in your own life, if you were in small group and someone said, hey, this is, you're going to die. If you go to wherever, Denver, you're going to die. Uh, and you'll be in prison and you'll be killed. Okay. Like if I had that word, I would go, wow, the Lord has spared me. You know, like God has intervened prophetically told me about what's about to happen, and therefore, I've been rescued. Well, what Paul did with this word is he said, yeah, that sounds about right. The Holy Spirit tells me everywhere I go, I must suffer for his name. So off we go. So Paul, by way of his formation, has come to see suffering as a signal of confirmation of calling. Okay, like so. So, but through his formation, suffering says to him, this is probably what God is asking of us. I mean, talk about like an inverted thing from pretty much all of us in the Western world. <laughs> like yeah. for us, anything that threatens our comfort tells us this is probably wrong. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. It's more painful than I thought it was going to be. Obviously, God's intention is to uphold my values, specifically for comfort. So again, we're not just formed in our family of origin. We're formed by our culture. 
And we have certain values that have been built into us that we expect and we frankly subconsciously interpret even a prophetic word through. Okay, so like, I mean, that's pretty daunting to realize. Like, well, wait a minute. So what does that mean? Well, it means that as much as it's up to us through a, a series of processes and ways of understanding our own story through spiritual disciplines we're trying to reform our insides to stand against some of the negative patterns of our family of our culture so that we can rightly hear and respond to uh, the spirit of god the leading of god in our life but that requires intention like we have to actually do things to participate in that there's certain things that only God can do, and there's certain things that God will only do if I do certain kinds of things. And it's hard to tell the difference between those things, but discernment is that process, isn't it? It's saying, okay, how much of this am I interpreting through my own filters? You know, so for example, how do you respond to criticism? Well, it depends. It depends on how much you trust people. It depends on, do I think that by and large, when people challenge me, it's because they're trying to help me. And I've been stunned as a pastor how often, you know, I'll offer someone a challenge, someone I've walked with maybe for decades. And they're like, you're my pastor. I love you so much. This is incredible. Like, you're the best. You're such a man of God. And then I'm like, so I've noticed this thing in your marriage I'm really concerned about. And they're like, you know, and who do you think you are anyway? Okay, so like, whatever all that other stuff was didn't matter in that moment. And I think people that are growing in spiritual maturity, they don't just respond to challenge and criticism. They seek it and move toward it. They go out of their way, and all of those things factor into how we, how we experience discernment. I mean, we do assessments for church planters, uh, just like I know you guys do. We, you know, in our staff culture, we do staff reviews. I'm more watching for how people respond than just what we're talking about. Because sometimes people don't get angry, they just shut down. Uh, or they become defensive. And I can notice that in myself. Like, okay, where, where are the tender spots where I feel like I need to justify or defend myself as opposed to saying, you know, even if 90% of what they're saying here is not helpful, there might be a 10% that is. So how do I reorient and how do I believe that I'm loved by God? I'm, I'm safe. I'm not, I, I'm not in danger because of what Christ has done and how he lives in me. And then how do I use that awareness to listen to feedback, to solicit it, and to grow and change as a result? Um, or as leaders, I, I find leaders that are often hedging in the way they lead people. Like, did you just tell them that's your experience? Like, they'll tell me, you know, and I got this thing with the staff member, this person, or you're not going to believe my friend's doing with the blah, blah, blah. And go, okay, cool. Did you say to them what you just said to me? Well, no. Oh, why not? 
well, that would really, I don't know, it would hurt their feelings. It's like, well, but is it true? I mean, it, you know, and, and can you just do it humbly and graciously? Uh, the little experiment I love to do with people is, well, what if they were listening in right now? What would happen next? And I realize I'm pushing on some British sensibilities. I, I know I'm doing that right now, but 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 I mean, there's a, a place where we, again, discernment isn't, what we want in discernment is often just some kind of download from God yeah. that will skip past our temperaments, that will skip past our stories, that will skip past any way that we've related with anyone else. Like we're Moses coming down the mountain. But by and large, that's not how this works. Discernment happens in community. And discernment happens within the context of your own story, your own values, and your ability to experience and respond well, not just to like affirmation, but challenge. And how you are formed affects that deeply. Yeah. So, so Jay, just to kind of jump onto that then, would it be a fair assumption to say, therefore, our formation can impact our our obedience into what god god is calling us into but i i like we use that ultimately our formation can prevent us limit us cause us to step away from or be distracted in another direction from actually what god is calling us to do well of course well, frankly, wherever you go, there you are. So, like, we never, we never escape ourselves. Yeah, um, we're not Gnostic. You know, we don't believe there's some kind of spirit you, and then there's like this evil body you. Hmm. There's just you, and so like, and they all interact and work together, and it's also positive. Like, you could have been raised in a family, or in a context where maybe some of your pain made you a person who is really resilient or who knows what it is to work really hard when other people don't know what, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, it can be a bad thing. I mean, so in my family, there was a lot of pressure and all kinds of things going on. But one of the things that was put into me was like, listen, in the end, you don't blame. It's up to you. And in the end, you look in the mirror and you figure out what needs to happen next. Okay, that can that can be problematic for how you understand the gospel. Okay, so so I'm not saying it's all good, but there is a lot of good stuff in that. You know, when I'm interacting with people in ministry and they're just like, and you know, and if the vineyard would have just, and then if my pastor could have just, and if my friend, and I can't believe these people are behaving this way, I'm always a little surprised because I'm always like, so you live in a world where if everybody else behaves and does what you need them to do, you'll be who you need to be. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, yes. you, you're, you're going to spend your whole life trying to manipulate everyone else and call it ministry. But if instead you say to yourself, nope, in the end, I can only do what I can do. And I'm in charge of me as much as God gives me grace to be. And I believe that somehow that will impact others and they can participate or not participate. That's something that by grace, because through some of the pain was instilled in me. So 
yes, it, you can be limited because you're a formation and you also can be empowered by certain kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But again, some of it's just taking all that stuff that's inherent and sort of hidden on the inside and placing it in front of you. So now it's not driving me in an unconscious way. It's in front of me in a conscious way. And I can keep those things in view. So when I'm in a conversation, I can notice, well, I have a tendency to get defensive. Okay, breathe. Just notice that. <laughs> like, how do I let the Lord in to this moment? I have a tendency to whatever, shrink back. Okay, how do I work on that in this moment? Or, hey, that happened yesterday, and I realized I did that thing. I can get a redo. I can go back in and have that conversation again. Um, but if you don't have those things in front of you, if they're just unconsciously driving you, everything's being read through that filter. And in our world, it's, it's especially dangerous because we can just put the, well, I just think this is what the Lord says. Or because I have peace. You know, I have a peace about this. Well, who cares? I mean, the peace you have about it might be because you're a coward. Cowards have a lot of peace. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. we can't just allow those things to interpret because they're wired up to other things. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, that's great. So if, like, put yourself in the position where you, you're, you're, hopefully a little bit more conscious about stuff that's going on in the inside but yet you know that you're ma you've made a mistake so leadership is about knowing what to do right and most of us as leaders would acknowledge that often we don't know what to do in situations so we make mistakes can you um kind of earth it really practically with what like what have you done in the past when you know you've made a mistake how have you have you tried to deal with that how what does that look like for jay if you're prepared well, I mean, to be that vulnerable <laughs> no i am i mean i, I think yeah. what what's what's important to recognize is that we are sinful okay yeah. so you know if you ask any group of people anyone here perfect no one raises their hand but if you say then how have you been attending to the mistakes you've made this week with people nobody nobody has anything to say okay so we know we're not perfect but we often aren't brave enough to attend to the mistakes that we make and to explore the impact that we've created in other people through our mistakes. So some of that's just tools, right? Like, I mean, here's a simple thought. Um, how good are you at apologizing? And I think a skill that leaders need to learn is the skill of apologizing and being able to apologize graciously and clearly if you're not the kind of person that says regularly, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't intend that. Saying I'm sorry doesn't mean I'm admitting that you're right and I'm wrong or saying that I intended to hurt you or, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, but apologizing is a sign of, I believe, humility. And so I think one of the things a, a, a leader learns to do is apologize a lot. And apologize for impact, not just intention. So I might believe I 
I mean, here's where it gets weird. I might believe I would do that the exact same way I did it before. So I'm not even apologizing for the action, but I can apologize for how that impacted you. And then explore, how can I attend to that differently? How do we change that? And sometimes I can't change it. They have to. So I'm so sorry that in the way I sent that email, it gave you the impression I don't care. I would never want to do that. Truly, I gen I'm genuinely sorry. However, I'm not really sure how to do that differently. And I'm not sure that I'm going to do that differently in the future. So what do we do about that? Like, how do we, how do we uh, relate differently? And so, so much of what we're doing as leaders is we're noticing how the processes of how we relate impact people, not just the intent. Um, and we're noticing impact. And I'm giving – an apology enables them to own their part, right? I mean, as leaders, I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to, like, model what I intend other people to do. So. If, and it gives them a moment to go, you know, I'm really sorry I interpreted it that way. I, it's clear to me you didn't intend that. That's okay. What do you think is going on here? And is that a pattern for you? Now, now I'm in a pastoral moment. Yeah. Um, because I created a context of humility. Um, and frankly, when I don't model the ability to admit my own impact, why would I expect anybody else to do that? And man, it's such a great model when we can live that way. I think that shows something to the watching world too. So, I mean, this, the most practical way to answer your question is I find myself apologizing offer, often. I off, also find myself using phrases like, I'm puzzled by what you did there. Can you help me understand why you said that? What I'm doing is I'm, I'm stripping it of the meaning I make. So maybe what I actually felt was that was stupid and unkind. Okay, let's say I think that thought, that's how I interpret a phrase or a statement. And instead of placing that meaning on them and then making them evaluate it, because I've already put them on their back foot. Instead, I come forward with, I'm puzzled by that what were you intending or why, why would you say that then? I, I find that confusing. And I let them fill in the meaning that they intended. And then I, oh, okay, that really helps me because I, I gotta be honest, I interpreted that differently. That felt kind of unfair or flippant or, do you see what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. Now we're both looking at something from the side together which in, helps people be less defensive um, and enables us to, to connect. These are tools you can learn, right? Like these aren't just things that are inherent. You can learn these as tools and you can build them as practices. Um, I, I'm often asking people that specifically that I lead, what do you think you see that I'm not seeing? Is there anybody you're noticing that I'm not noticing? Is there anything that I could be doing that would be more helpful to you? Is there something I could stop or start? What I'm doing is I'm creating an environment where they're allowed 
to like say what they think and feel because again there's a power dynamic when you're a leader where people aren't necess- don't necessarily feel permission to come toward you mm-hmm. to describe how they're impacted yeah it's incumbent upon me to create permission Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, can so, so Jay, do you do you feel, or have you um, noticed it in yourself or in others, that you can that someone's formation you can almost seal in out in leadership or in your environment, even like can whereby actually until something shifts. Mm-hmm. either you're you're stuck or equally you're actually now undermining leader you're, le- you're corroding your leadership rather yeah. than um exercising it and developing it yeah for sure I, I i would say people have a lot of grace for you when you're responsible for your own growth and development people don't need you to be perfect mm. but they do need you to be responsible and people do want to watch progress. So when you can own what your own story is and what you're trying to figure out and specifically do that before they call it out in you, that builds trust. So trust isn't built by being perfect. Trust is built by ha- re- being responsible for the gaps that you create or the impact you create. If you can do that work as a leader, you can build a lot of trust and you can demonstrate growth over time. And it models something to other people, which is, I don't need you to be perfect, but I do need you to own. And if you don't do that kind of work, when trust is in low supply, you start to hear things like, well, you know how Mike is. Like when you hear stuff like that out and about, like in a team or in a culture or even in a family, like, well, you know, you know, mom. Okay. What you're doing is you're giving like a shorthand of like, this is a thing that's messed up that we've all just like grown to expect. That's a signal that like, there's a thing that's been left unattended or it's been attended to, but they're, they're unwilling to be responsible for it. So it's limiting our ability to work together effectively. Yeah. So just notice that. And we do that in a playful way. I mean, I, I mean, if I'm really honest, some of even the work people do around the Enneagram or temperament, I think can be super helpful, but it can become justifications. Mm. Well, you know, they're just an eight. It's like, I think what you're trying to say is <laughs> they're being mean. Um, because a, a formed eight, a growing eight, that sort of fight in them is for the sake of what's right and true and holy on behalf of those who are weak and in need for justice. So even some of that language is like, yeah, that's not helpful. Like, I, you know, let's, let's just take ownership for that. I'm just I would love if you'd land this with this last with with a last question of sure 
you, you the those that are listening to this are, are people that are that are either exploring discerning to pioneer to church plant to step up in leadership transition leadership what what would be a post-pandemic all that we've gone through moment what would be just your kind of take home for them or even if it, even if it's just a question for them to think through as they kind of continue to look to serve the lord to serve the vineyard uh, and to be to 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 carry all that god has got for them what would be your um, question or, or nugget for them um i i i think the scriptures and church history tell us that Whoever seeks to be an overseer, a leader, desires a good thing. I mean, I love that little verse. Like, there is such a thing as godly ambition. And in so many of our circles, ambition is always bad. You know, like, you should just seek to, I don't know, like, just crawl around on the ground and <laughs> clean the floor because that's what a godly person looks like. And I don't think that's true. I, I think there is such a thing as godly ambition. So the fact that you're just sitting in this space, having these conversations, seeking the Lord about how to press the edges of what God's entrusted to you for the sake of his kingdom, for church planting, means you're already in a great spot. So I commend you. Way to go. It takes a lot of courage to even put yourself in that environment. And so that's great. The challenge is you will lead out of who you're becoming, not just what you can do, not just what your gifts are. And very few people as you lead will really press you or challenge you or help you become something different. They're mostly just going to like what you can do. You can preach, you can lead, you can organize, you can inspire. You're mostly going to be affirmed for what you're able to do. And you're going to be challenged for things that you can't do. And there's a million books on how to like build the thing to the thing, to do the deal, to have the technique to whatever. And those are great. But do your very best to build a kind of life with people who love you enough to challenge you, uh, to believe that you could be more than you are in your friendships, in your marriage. Find a way to connect yourself to people who don't care about anything you do, but they care about you. That there's nothing that's off limits. They know literally everything. All the time. And they love you enough to like point those things out. Those kinds of relationships you will never drift into. You have to intentionally build them. And if you want to do this for the long haul, you're going to have to have people that go through the different seasons and phases of life with you. And those have to be found intentionally. And I think COVID taught us that many of us don't have the relationships we thought we had. Many of us, though we thought church was like some kind of deep connecting point, we realized without the simple rhythm of a Sunday or a small group or whatever, a lot of that dissipated. To use Jesus's language, a lot of our life was built on sand. Mm -hmm. 
grieve that for a minute and then rebuild, build different with yeah. people. Because at the end of all this, all we're going to have is our own life with God, the families we've lived with, and the friends we've walked with. No one's going to ask us about our church or our career or our bank account or anything. That's all we'll present to Jesus. So invest. It's worth it. Man, that was great. Great. Amazing. Lots to go away and think about. Lots to process. But... Um... Jay, super appreciate your time on that, and um, yeah. well, um, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be lots of discussion out of this space and and in various other spaces off the back of this. But um, great, well, let's um, call that Thank a wrap. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay.